0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Thursday, January 6th, 2022. I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders. Joined, as always, on Thursdays by Mike Tanier. We're also joined today by Vince Verheye and by Parker Fleming. We are going to uh, preview for you both NFL Week 18 and the big Georgia-Alabama national championship game. So um, the story of NFL Week 18, as we'll get to in a few minutes, is which of these ridiculous, absurd upsets might actually happen and how would that take place. So the best game of the weekend with all, you know, I mean no disrespect to the Chargers and Raiders here, but the best game of the weekend is Georgia and Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so we're going to start with Georgia and Alabama on Monday night for the national championship in another rematch, right? It's interesting. It's a rematch week in the NFL because it's all division games. So all these teams have played each other once before. You don't get a lot of rematches in college football, but this is one. And um, I believe Brian Frimo's stat this week said 56% of rematches in college football over the last, like, 15 years have been won by the team that won the first game, which is actually a kind of surprisingly low number. Mm -hmm. So, Parker, tell us about Georgia and Alabama and what you think we should be expecting in this national championship game on Monday night.
1: Yeah, definitely interesting to see the rematch and a a rematch of evenly matched teams. You know, that that stat about 56%. You think about how often in in rematches was one team obviously better than the other. We saw that with like Utah and Oregon this year where Utah just um, kind of beat down on Oregon. And then two weeks later, they rematch in the Pac-12 championship and the same exact thing happened. Mm -hmm. Um, so really interesting with, with two great coaches and Kirby smart and Nick Saban, uh, to kind of see what they'll be able to do with a couple of weeks of preparation, having played a game and and what might be different. Obviously the, the biggest thing here, I think is there's some, uh, big, uh, injuries on Alabama side of things, specifically the receiver, John Mechie. He went down in the sec championship game and Alabama's offense really stalled. He won't be uh, playing for Alabama, so that kind of deep threat wide receiver they'll have to figure out how to replace that. And then along the offensive line, there was there was two to three guys who have been banged up, and that Alabama's had to replace. That was evident um, uh, against Cincinnati, where some, some of Cincinnati in, in in the later in the game, some of Cincinnati's defensive front was able to uh, kind of pester Alabama. Um, that this is really interesting because you 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 try to get storylines out of what um, happened in the college football playoff. And I think both coaches in the college football playoff, Kirby Smart of Georgia and Nick Saban of Alabama, were trying to put as little on film as possible and still win. I mean, you look at Alabama was rushing on like 43% of early downs all season, and they start the game running, what, like 16 out of 17 plays were were designed runs and just said, hey, we're we're more physical. We don't have to do anything else against Cincinnati. We know the big question for this game is uh, for, for the national championship for our rematch with Georgia is how do we how do we? And fix our downfield passing problem with Mechie out. They weren't going to put that answer on film against Cincinnati if they didn't have to. Same thing with Georgia. Uh, you saw them running a couple of trick plays, really focusing on what Kirby Smart has been talking about all season and all postseason of loosening up and just feeling relaxed and saying, we're confident that we're good and we're going to. Uh, be able to play here. So uh, a couple really interesting kind of competing storylines in the game. Um, my my model actually moved from two weeks ago or two, two games ago, I guess, rather. It's been more than two weeks. Um, I had this as a coin flip, slightly favoring Alabama. That's moved to five points in favor of Alabama here, um, even as the betting line has Georgia as the favorite.
0: It's really interesting because if you think about, we've got sort of two sets of stats at Football Outsiders. We've got the FEI drive-based stats and we've got your play-by-play-based stats. Your play-by-play-based stats favor Bama. FEI favors Georgia by a couple of points. So they're sort of in contradiction to each other, which I think shows how close this game should be. Now, here's the thing. When they played in the SAC Championship, it wasn't right. close. Right? What, what can be different this time? What happened in that game that should be different this time that should make this one much closer?
1: Yeah, so uh, of course the injuries, I think, are the one thing that you can say this is the biggest deal for Alabama because Bryce Young passed for, you know, uh, 400 yards in that game or uh, yeah, 421 yards in that game. Um, And so that's obviously going to be different. Alabama's running back, Brian Robinson, who had a great game in the semifinal, was also uh, dealing with a nagging hamstring injury. And so perhaps we'll see him run more than 16 times, which he did um, in that game. I I think the biggest thing to point out, though, is that Georgia wasn't doing that poorly against Alabama. Um, You know, it's, it's 31 to 17 in the third quarter and Stetson Bennett throws an interception that Alabama returns for a touchdown to make it 38 to 17 completely blows the game open. But the very next drive, Georgia goes seven plays, 75 yards and scores a touchdown. If they had just tackled, uh, (laughs) if they had just tackled Jordan battle, returning the the ball, or if uh, Bennett hadn't thrown that interception, Maybe you're looking at 31-24 in the fourth quarter. That's a lot closer than the score seems. And, of course, with football, it's dynamic. You can change. You know, you could do that for any game and make a 56 to nothing blowout look closer than it was. But I think that's important to look at in terms of what's informative kind of going forward. Um, The biggest key for me and what might be different is if Georgia can avoid a situation where Alabama gets up by more than one score – and Stetson Bennett doesn't have to press. Stetson Bennett is not going to be like an NFL MVP quarterback. He might go down as a very good college quarterback, and, and Georgia doesn't need much more than that. But when you get in this negative game script against a very talented, very experienced Alabama, um, who's very good at showing you dynamic pressures, Nick Saban talked about that this week. Uh, that's where Georgia's really going to struggle is if they have to rely on Stetson Bennett in the passing game to bring them back from a lead.
0: Right, because he's not a star. I mean, Young is a star. Young is like, we're all going to be talking about him in the draft next year as a top prospect. it may not even play in the NFL.
1: Yeah. G- given this quarterback class, you might be talking about Bryce Young just in, in terms of who has to draft in 2022. You might be talking about <laughs> Bryce Young at the 2022 draft too, uh, just comparing him to, to guys uh, from, from this we year. We are but, going to yeah. because
0: this year's quarterback class is is terrible compared to the 2023 yeah. class. The 2023 class has all kinds of guys in it like Young. Um. And they've got—I mean, it's Alabama, so they recruit so well. There must be star receivers other than Mechie. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and and the big deal there. So so obviously, I mean, they 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 have four and five stars all the way down. Uh, JoJo Earl was really talented. Had a had a good run in uh, or had a good um, reception in the uh, in the championship game. And if you look at the box score from the Georgia Alabama round one game. Um, Jamison Williams actually led the team. He had, you know, seven receptions, 184 yards and two touchdowns. That's largely because Georgia was able to lock down on John Mechie and he was kind of the counterpunch. And so it's not necessarily that they don't have, you know, a staple of talented guys. Slade Bolden, who feels like he's been in Alabama for five or six years now, um, is a a good possession receiver for them. But the, the, the issue for Alabama is, can one of these younger guys step into a role where when Georgia and their, you know, excellent defense clamps down on Jamison Williams, can somebody develop a counterpunch there in the passing game? Um, And so I'm I'm interested to see kind of schematically how they do that, because against Cincinnati, they really didn't pass in a way that would uh, indicate how they're going to approach that. But um, yeah, one name to look at in terms of matchups and guys who haven't been very loud for Alabama this year, Cameron Latu at tight end for Alabama presents a really interesting matchup in the middle for Georgia. That's somebody they haven't used. And and if you guys remember a couple of years ago, OJ Howard, almost kind of out of nowhere, just had an amazing championship game because Alabama was like, Hey, we have an awesome tight end. We haven't had to use him, but it works out pretty well here. So we're going to use him. Maybe you could see something interesting there from, from Cameron in the passing game, just because Alabama is going to have to find a way to get creative. If Georgia can lock
2: down Jameson Williams. Is Latu one of those guys like Howard, where he's blocking all the time, and we haven't seen the receiving side of his of his game? Is that the kind of game he has?
1: Yeah, so he's, I mean, six five two fifty has, I mean, basically <laughs> just a, a, a fast tackle. Uh, but he, you know, he only has three hundred uh, passing or receiving yards all all okay. season. hasn't hasn't really been used. Um, and you think about with Alabama having issues along the offensive line earlier in the season. And then again, as guys got hurt later on, that, that tight end in, in college football, a lot of times you've got to keep him in or keep an extra running back in for protection to get those six and seven man protections, whereas rather you, you know, send him out for a pass or something. So um, all, all sorts of reasons that he could be more involved as a compliment if if JoJo Earl or Ja'Cory Brooks can't step up um, to be that second option for, for Alabama and Bryce Young is
0: the Georgia defense more based around stud players or is it more of a schematic thing?
1: Um, It's kind of like, you know, you think about if you're proving something in mathematics, you often talk about like a necessary and a sufficient condition. Um, The talent that they have is a necessary condition for an excellent defense. They, um, but, but I think they also need the scheme as well. And Kirby smart and what he knows. Um, and, And so I, I don't think it's necessarily either one do i think that kirby smart could take a g5 defense and put together a really really good unit yes do i think that you know guys like Nicobe dean are absolute freaks who have great mental processing on the field, as we saw, you know, against against Michigan, everyone's seen that highlight where he calls out the orbit motion and then makes the tackle all the way across the field—just absolutely crazy. I, I think it's a little bit of both, um, which is what you know, Kirby Smart wants to do, and that's how he wants to win national championships. To say I can go get the best talent and then I can put them in the best position to use that talent to succeed. So it's not like Kirby Smart does anything necessarily novel on defense that we haven't seen. It's not like when the three down tight front a couple of years ago was all the rage and it was confusing people. Um, It is, it is, Hey, we know what we're doing. We know our rules and we're going to execute. And and that is a function of talent and a function of scheme.
0: So in your gut, right? The numbers, right. You know, Brian's numbers have it one way, your numbers have it the other way. If you had to pick the game, do you like Alabama to win again? Or do you like Georgia to rebound and, and,
1: and to get the, the rematch? Yeah, it's it's so hard to bet against Nick Saban. Um, I mean, it's just it's just so hard to bet against Nick Saban. You it, you, just, you just won't be making money if you do that very often. Um, it is it is interesting to me. I do I, I do think that Georgia had a little bit more of a physical game uh, against Michigan, um, even as they they kind of blew them out more than more than Alabama blew out Cincinnati. In my heart of hearts, I think I'm trusting Nick Saban here. I think that he will win again. Um, just because I do think that the, they, they have enough on defense to really mess with Stetson Bennett. And I don't know if he can kind of uh, get over that hurdle of that mental block of, Hey, we're playing against Alabama. I've had bad games against Alabama. I mean, in that first game, Alabama probably dropped two two more interceptions on top of the two that they had as well. So um, I, I, would, I would lean towards Alabama winning this one again. It wouldn't shock me. Um, I, I think that the outcomes I can see are, a close Georgia win or an Alabama blowout. Those are kind of my, uh, like, uh, my, my two strongest, most likely outcomes. Um, but, but I, I do think that I would lean towards Alabama and Nick Saban here.
2: I got three points in Alabama. That's even better.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And there was some like reverse, a little bit of reverse line movement there, uh, yesterday, which is just kind of odd. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know what people are going to, um, bet on, I, I would expect people to bet on Georgia. Just like if you, you know, if, if you told me that there was a coin flip and it was 60-40 odds and I flipped it and it came up on the 40 side, if I flipped it again, you, you'd still pick the 60 side. So I think a lot of people are going to bet Georgia just for that reason. Um, but I, I, I mean, yeah, I think I'd, un- until, until one of Nick Saban's assistants can, can beat him in a, in a big spot, I, I don't know that anyone can. So, Useful was
0: first asked, has Alabama under Saban ever lost a game when Bama was an underdog going into the game? Has Bama ever I, been an underdog
1: going <laughs> game? Did yes, I to think. Okay, so I looked this up earlier this week because I had the same question. That's a great question. Um, I think I looked this up earlier this week, um, and I think that uh, it's Alabama has been an underdog six times, and they're five and one when they're underdogs. Wow. Um, Every part they also of that just won so many games. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just really hard to. Um, I mean, that's going back to, to sorry, that's going back to Nick Saban uh, in two thousand eight. Shout out, I think. I think Gary Seegers or Kyle Hunter, my um, co-host on BetUS, pulled that stat. I think that's why it's in my head. But um, that, that's going to 2008. It's hard to make any kind of, you know, meaning. It's a fun trivia, but it's hard to make any kind of meaningful inference on that just because it's so rare that it happens uh, that they are the underdog. So, um, yeah, very, very interesting.
0: Right. I get the inference that you can make on it is, you know, there it. It's not a ridiculous possibility to suggest that Nick Saban wins as an underdog because it's happened five out of six times. Yeah, right. It doesn't mean it's yeah. going to happen, Look. but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. But it's you know there's a good chance.
3: He wins as an underdog. He wins as a favorite. He wins as a pick'em. <laughs> there's a, there's a pattern here.
2: <laughs> he wins. He wins that's when so he's angry with what the media is saying about him. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Just, yeah. He, he, he wins. He wins when he's, when he's happy, what they're saying, angry, what they're saying, kind of all, all sorts of ways.
0: I saw somebody tweet about this, but you know, there's been a lot of discussion about college football and like, how do we get away from this with Alabama? Like how do we get away from the same teams every year? How do we get away from Alabama? Even if Alabama wins another championship, it's like exhausting. How do we get away from this every year? And someone pointed out, it's sort of in the history of college football that, you know, Pete Carroll had all the best talent and was winning championships and going to the championship every year. And before that, it was Bobby Bowden at Florida Mm -hmm. state. And it's, this was what happens when a really good coach could gather all the best talent without any uh, you know, in the NFL, there's all these forces that take talent away from you to try to create parity. There's no forces like that in college football, other than players wanting playing time and going into the transfer portal. So the best coaches can collect the best talent, which means you're going to get the same teams year after year after year. And the only way to legislate against it is so to somehow prevent the best coaches from getting the best
1: talent. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I think there's a couple interesting, uh, potential solutions there. One of them is Nick Saban retires. Um, cause that frees up an entire playoff spot mm-hmm. and maybe, uh, you know, makes, makes it sure that the sec doesn't automatically have two playoff spots there, but I will point out, um, there were two new teams in the playoff this year that have never been before, just two entirely new faces. Um, and, and that, that in itself is, is intriguing. Of course, with Texas and Oklahoma going to the sec, you're worried about, you know, um, does this just become a, a, an sec championship round two um, with, with so much talent uh, accumulated there. But I, I, I will say, th- I will say I I'm a little reluctant for any kind of big sweeping change to sport before Nick Saban retires, because our, our view of parity is just skewed by the, the best college football program builder and maintainer uh, in, in the history of, of, of the game. Oh. And, and so that that's me interesting. Uh, I, I do think that there's some funkier proposals on the table that, that some folks have talked about, like dynamic scholarships. And so if you go four and eight, you can sign, you know, thirty guys instead of twenty-five guys. Oh. And if you go fourteen and zero, you can only sign twenty instead of twenty-five. Oh. And moving around, of course, there's monetary limits, and some schools can't afford that. So we've got to figure that out. But some of those are, are interesting, just because there are ways to potentially reward teams who are rebuilding and and not punish teams who are excellent, but say, hey, we're we're going to give other people an opportunity to. to um, Get involved. I don't know if I love those. Again, Saban's got to retire before I'm too worried about parody in college football because it's just been Alabama and then a couple of good teams hovering around them. It's not like there's, you know, uh, a, a huge gulf between um like seven teams and then the rest of college football. It's like Alabama and then whoever's, you know, second and third, and then a huge gulp all the way back to like number thirty. Those, those are kind of the same. So
2: I am picturing the booster club getting the coach side saying. You got a tank this year, and so we get sixty scholarships next year. I am picturing that and I am at the thought of that dynamic yeah. scholarships.
3: But but Aaron yeah. made the point that this is the way college football and that this particular Alabama run is longer than a lot, but there's always a dominant program. And and before was it was Pete Carroll's USC. Um before that it was it was the University of Miami was the best every year. Before that in the 80s, you go to like Tom Osborne in Nebraska Penn State. or Barry Switzer at a – Oklahoma and, and going back to the army in the 1940s, there's always one team that, that dominates college footballs and every decade or so that team changes. And eventually it won't be Alabama's turn. Right.
1: Yeah. And and I think something like Lincoln Riley going West is good for the sport to kind of spread it out of, you know, the Southeastern. um, I mean, obviously the circumstances and it's kind of weird when coaches leave in the middle of the night and all that, but I'm saying USC being good again uh, should, should, change the national perception and landscape to make it a little bit more. It's weird for the
0: best athletes from California and Hawaii to be going to Alabama.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's so odd. And, and, and it's not like that shouldn't happen. And it's good that they have more opportunities, right. To, to kind of choose. And and I think there's a lot of unobserved benefit for some lower level players who, you know, might not have got a scholarship offer to UCLA, but get a scholarship offer to Toledo and go play football for four years. And, and, and that's, that's cool. Um, But yes, I, I do think that regional recruiting um, is, or excuse me, national recruiting is, is definitely one of the drivers of kind of this consolidation of talent. It's not like that should be outlawed. It's not like that's bad, but again, powers on both coasts and in the Midwest kind of leveling that out should, should, um, help with some of these parity concerns.
0: All right, man. Huge game. I'll be watching Georgia and Alabama. I don't watch that much college football, but I'll be watching this because there's going to be a lot of – it could be nice, hopefully tight, hopefully not a blowout, and a lot of guys will be playing on Sundays next year. So Parker Fleming writes the one foot in bounds column for us on Mondays reviewing college football at Stats of War. Thank you, Parker. Appreciate awesome. it, man.
1: Thanks, guys. Appreciated it.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Right. All right, now it's time to talk about the NFL Week 18, but before we do, I want to give Mike Tanyer a small amount of time to but, talk about how happy he is that there will be no more wonderlick.
2: Oh, thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, 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 am a, I am the uh, the NFL Media's ranking expert in standardized testing uh, from my many years in high school and working in the standardized testing industry, sometimes concurrently, sometimes in place of being a teacher. The Wonderlick. Was a 1960s and 1970s MBA type. Let's try to take an executive, a, a young person applying for an executive job, and give them like a quick mental acuity test to see if they have what it takes to run the accounting department. Okay. In the 70s, we did not check for various types of biases, race, gender, etc. We just gave tests like this to a bunch of 20-something-year-old white guys and said, how good are they at doing, like, number recognition patterns and, and and spot the logic error patterns and things like this. And they created this thing called the Wonderlick test. NFL grabbed it and said, ooh, let's give players this. Probably at the time it made sense. It made sense. It's like, oh, we have a sort of an IQ test type of thing that we can give quickly, that can be tested quickly, we sign this contract, et cetera. The rest of the world realized that kind of test was not valid. We stop giving any tests like that to young people moving up. I mean, we give standardized tests now. They have their own problems. Separate rant. But we, but they are uh, tested and normed against a variety of things to try to minimize the amount of biases that are built into these tests. Wonderlook just kind of rolled on as a product. There was no educational money, no public money going into it. It just rolled on, rolled on, rolled on, and has been used for decades as a number one thing as a shaming hammer towards young players, particularly quarterbacks, very yeah. often quarterbacks of color, Who did poorly on this test that has a very mathematical analytical and verbal component to it that has no bearing has no reasonable bearing on their abilities in the nfl and i have talked to scouts and former scouts who said well you know what we've used that test and we've red flagged a couple of guys who it turned out wasn't weren't going to be able to handle it. they didn't have the mental skills to do it and i would say you could probably ask him to multiply a couple of numbers or name some state capitals or something like that, you would probably be getting the red same red flag that this guy didn't legitimately didn't have it upstairs. Instead, you were giving them something that had this veer of scientificness that would then get stuck on pro football talk. And we would then be spending weeks talking about Vince Young. Does he have it all upstairs? And yeah. it was frankly racist. It was anti-scientific, it was anti-intellectual a- analytic with the v- veneer of being scientific and analytical. It is gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, everyone. That?
0: for, for was good. Brilliant. I knew that I didn't have to prepare you. Like, I knew <laughs> you were ready to go. Like, as soon as I said it, like, you've you've done the Wunderlich spiel so many times over the last 20 years. Like, yes. I figured you were ready to go. Um, if you're watching us right now on Twitch or on YouTube, please feel free to make comments and questions about Week 18 games in the comments. Uh, Let's talk about week 18. So like I said earlier, the theme of week 18 is basically which of these crazy upsets might happen and why. Because unfortunately, we ended up with not a lot of games between two teams in playoff contention that are actually playing each other. Um, I did put a poll up on Twitter before this uh, with four of the biggest possibilities, the biggest lines, and the most common upset people chose. I put up, uh, to people choose between Denver, Kansas City, Bills and Jets, uh, Texans and Titans, and Jags and Colts. And the one that got the most votes was Texans and Titans. So we'll get to that in a little bit. The one I think that got the fewest votes was Kansas City and Denver. So we'll start with that because that's on Saturday. (laughs) So... I, we're not doing our fun little graphics about making the playoffs because we all know how this works, right? Kansas City is basically playing to hope that Cincinnati, uh, uh, not Cincinnati, hope, hope that Tennessee loses to Houston, um, so they have a reason to go out there and play hard. But I mean, what does a Broncos upset look like in this game?
2: Uh, that's Teddy. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater's out, I believe. Again, mm-hmm. yes, it's Drew Locke. So I believe this is a Drew Locke goes ham with weird Carson Wentz YOLO stuff down the field that catches the Chiefs off guard, and then you get a turnover or two by the Chiefs, and the game snowballs in that direction. And that's what it looks like. I just the likelihood on that is seems like it's like ten percent. It
0: really feels like you need those the Kansas City to have the turnovers that bounce off dudes' hands again.
3: Yeah, I, I mean. I get what Mike is saying, but at the same time, when we ask the question, what does a Denver upset look like? I can easily see a defense that just got roasted by Jamar Chase, giving up a handful of big plays to yeah. a mad bomber quarterback and drew lock with a deep receiving core. And I can see Kansas City's offense reverting to September form where they're doing super cutesy goal line stuff <laughs> and getting bad, 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 uh, bad bounces of the football. And, and, you know, every game we talk about what an upset, we're going to talk about turnovers. That's going to be part of it. But um, do I think it's going to happen? No. Of course, it would be a huge upset. But if that upset happens, I can easily picture what it would be like. I'm I would checking. think
0: general would want to run a lot.
3: Uh, oh, yeah. Drew Locke
0: has uh, – Mike Semperviv uh, points out, Drew Locke also has a wonky shoulder. So you may be getting some Brent, rip, Brent Rippon in this game. Ooh, exciting. Ooh.
2: <laughs> I'm going with Denver five-day 4 hey, Mike. Let me see if that tells me anything. Maybe a foot oh, Yeah. Spot? Uh, Saturday, high of 44 with precipitation. So slop game, that could be a factor where it turns into yep. a slop game and then you slow down the Chiefs and they still try to do all their goofy stuff and they do it in, in sleet. That There's a possibility.
0: CCX3 points out Denver's run game has been horrible the last couple of weeks, which is true, and Kansas City's run defense is up to 19th in DVOA, so it's been much better over the last few weeks.
2: Yeah. I don't think I don't think Locke and Shermer like I mean I don't think uh Fangio and Shermer like Locke very much. And they, they kind of put this random no one does, but I mean they're the coaches <laughs> and they're like sort of actively like 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 so suspicious of Locke and nervous of Locke they put these horrible game plans together. I,
0: I feel like it it feel like the way the Denver story that involves an upset probably involves Brett Ripon coming oh, okay. in and being much bitter than anybody expects. And them just being like, Go ahead, throw the ball deep, go ahead, go, go on. Ahead.
2: I, yeah, well, there you go. I think I think we've, we've made our point here. What, what What's the spread? Nine points, CCX. spread is 10.
0: <laughs> the current spread is 10. Uh-huh. Would you take Kansas City minus 10, or would you take Denver plus 10?
2: I'll backdoor cover that. I got 10 and a half showing now. And with that weather report, which might compress the game a little bit, uh, especially if they, it's a windy, sleet type of game, I'll take I'll take the backdoor cover in the Broncos.
3: Yeah, I, I I I don't I don't gamble much, but ten points is, is a lot. Strange things happen in the NFL. I know it's a Saturday game, um, so they're going to be have motivation no matter what. Um, but it's also Week eighteen. Strange things happen. I I, I would take the points in that one and uh, pour myself a drink.
0: So much of betting in Week eighteen seems to be connected to the motivation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're talking about this, like normally there's one or two games where uh, our projected line is different from the actual line by three points or more. Right. Mm. This week there were six. Mm. Then the Detroit Green Bay line moved a little bit. So now there's five, but that's still way more than usual because I'm not mathematically incorporating motivation. Um, be hard I'm to do go with Kansas City though speaking of motivation I feel like Kansas City is motivated right. to not take their foot off the gas right they want the, the, you know it, it matters if if the Texans can beat Tennessee mm-hmm. the Kansas City wants the number one seed I feel right. like uh Denver with backup quarterbacks it's 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 um I feel like Kansas City can cover okay what about head coach motivation says grouchish for those on the hot seat it,
2: Fangio has been a hot seat for weeks. He wasn't able to beat the Raiders, you know? So I don't know
0: how, I don't know how head coach motivation improves your, I guess by getting more aggressive, Fangio has been surprisingly aggressive this year after he was already, you know, so conservative last year. Uh, I did not know this, but let's go. Royals points out that Drew Locke grew up in Kansas city. (laughs) It's
3: a factor. So, so it's home team factor. You can't just do uh, that. How dare you it, not draft it, me, my hometown team.
0: We're not going to discuss is Dallas at Philadelphia. Because in the leverage of how much this matters, those little graphics we put up every Thursday for Super Bowl odds, neither Dallas nor Philadelphia sees their Super Bowl odds move more than 0.2% if they win this game
2: right?
0: or, or lose this game. So the seeding barely matters. The seeding mm-hmm. changes barely matter. So this game doesn't matter.
2: And the Eagles have 6 million starters on COVID. And Sirianni. Dallas.
0: Are... Dallas has Micah Parsons, on, Parsons COVID. on Yeah. And Sirianni's uh-huh.
2: like, mentality has been, like, let's keep guys healthy. So he's not going to go plowing into this game with a bunch of COVID guys coming off the last second.
0: Yeah. Pittsburgh. I don't. The problem is, I don't know if Dallas is going plowing into this game. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, down, uh, Pittsburgh at Baltimore 1 p.m. Sunday. So, yes. both of these teams have a tiny, itty bitty chance of making the playoffs if they win this game. They would need the Jags, uh, to lose, they would need the Jags to beat the Colts, and then the- each team needs other things to happen for the winner of this game to make the playoffs. But it is possible, so this game does matter for both yes, teams. Uh, previous game was the one where Pittsburgh beat Baltimore 20 to 19. That was the first one where Baltimore went for two on the goal line. And TJ Watt slapped the ball away that was going to get to Mark Andrews that was going to score the two point conversion. Uh, Deontay, uh, Johnson went on the COVID list, uh, which is good for, good for my one fantasy team that's playing in week 18 and has Chase Claypool. So Yay
2: does lamar jackson did not practice with his ankle yesterday Huntley's no a full participant so we're probably seeing huntley again huntley has played well enough to lose these games with all the other things going on um, yeah
0: yeah
3: i mean
2: i mean we've their defense, seen...
0: huntley has played as well as jackson played right. it's just that their defense the sucks hole. against the pass. they're sixth mm-hmm. against the run and 30th against the pass.
3: Right. yeah we've we, i mean I think the Ravens may have three quarterbacks better than Pittsburgh starter right now. Um, <laughs> Josh Johnson came in out of nowhere and, and looked reasonable, <laughs> and then and, and Ben was so bad on Monday night that game plan. Yes. I don't know if it's Ben or the game plan, but there's only so many three yard outs I can take. <laughs> yeah. Just, um. So. But <laughs> I just I just I just feel like Pittsburgh is has been toying with us and 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 we. I don't know. Wasting our time is the right way to put it, but um, they're they're not going to win a playoff game. They may beat this Baltimore team because this Baltimore team is not very good, and, and who knows? Maybe they get the help they need and they get there. But they're they're to, why? <laughs> What's the point? So this this the seventh wild card team, the seventh wild uh, playoff team per yeah. conference. I, I don't think has improved the slate of week eighteen games or no. week, last week games.
2: That's that's exactly why is this game? That's a, the thing I look at. Like what what is the why here? And why here is because. The Steelers excel at winning the way they did on Monday night. Look, we got a bunch of sacks and fifty-yard field goals. Now we got a victory, and the Ravens were a contender, and they can't—they—they've been like huffing the fumes all the way down mm. to the end here. But I—I I can't get a beat on this game because I can't. It's like trying to like prognosticate a Falcons Bears game at this point in terms of like. I mean, these teams are better than that, but it's almost like, oh, who's playing kind of okay? Who's still healthy? And. Yeah. the problem Where is, is the ravens just have like no defense they have anymore. nobody yep. yeah, they,
3: yeah that is a problem <laughs> yeah and it's well, weird the pass
0: rush yeah. has been pretty average the steelers have a bad offensive line but the ravens pass rush has not been great and if they blitz guys their cornerbacks cannot cover a right. one-on-one uh but
3: you you talk to someone who who is a, a casual nfl fan and maybe they watch an nfc team they don't see baltimore more than once every two or three years and you tell them the Ravens have a terrible defense and like their, their synapses misfire. Yeah. It, it well. doesn't
2: process right. <laughs> but it's
3: true. The, the, the 2021 Baltimore defense is lousy. Right. All so right. here's what
0: is remarkable to me about this game Baltimore is now favored by six.
2: Maybe no.
3: people, we're talking the, the, the motivation. Maybe people saw that Pittsburgh farewell to Ben and they figure Ben has already retired.
2: No, I'm taking the Steelers in this situation. I would
3: take the Steelers plus the points, yeah. Uh, uh, That's almost – yeah, that's that's a lot – that's a big spread.
2: Right. Unless Vegas knows some injury or health thing. They heard Ben coughing or something. I I don't know. It would be different if the
0: Steelers had no chance of making the playoffs. But the fact is that the winner of this game has a small chance of making it if other things happen. So they're going to both be trying. Right. Right. Uh, Mike comparative says it's the same with Seattle. It's a mind bender after so many years of that kind of defense. Right. Pittsburgh, Baltimore,
2: and Seattle, yeah, all have below average defenses this year. Right. Yeah. You can see Baltimore was so injury and Seattle was injury uh, situation to a degree here.
3: Sort of. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Seattle's has been more of a general decline, yeah. a, a gradual decline and and I feel like Baltimore just kind of came out of nowhere. Everybody just can hurt. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah uh Indianapolis at Jacksonville uh what does a Jaguars upset look like and um the previous (laughs) game this year Jacksonville only lost by six points 23-17 in one of those games where both teams ended up with negative DVOA
2: we know what a Jacksonville upset looks like it looks like Carson Wentz with the yakety-sax music playing in the background. That's (laughs) what it looks like. If he can successfully hand off to Jonathan Taylor and stay out of victory's way, they win. But if he goes on one of his spectacular little sprees, this turns into a game. I think they need more than that, frankly. I think the way the Jaguars played last week, they need more than just Carson. They need a
0: running game. in the first game between these teams... Robinson had 12 carries for 57 yards and a touchdown and Jamal Agnew had a 66 yard touchdown run, but I would not expect to see that from Jamal Agnew again, and now there is no James Robinson. so that's
2: what I think. I think they are both gone. Oh, is
0: Agnew gone too?
2: I think Agnew was – unless he came back, he was gone for several weeks. He had a pretty significant injury. I've lost track of the Jaguars, folks. I'm sorry. If If there was an interim, like if I I thought Bevel or Schottenheimer or one of these guys was going to pull out all of the trick plays and like put them on display, like, oh, they could surprise the Colts. That's not who these assistants are. They don't. Uh, Schottenheimer's trick play would be like a three-yard cross, and 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 you know a shallow cross. That's not how <laughs> these guys operate. So uh, you know, I, I I can't I can't see. It. All I can see is is Tom Fartery from Carson Wentz. There's also uh, uh, uh,
3: Trevor Lawrence was the unquestioned number one draft pick in a deep quarterback class. 10 months ago or whatever it was mm-hmm. and he obviously has not played like life like that and it, i think that we all agree that's mostly because he was playing with the worst head coach we have ever seen right um so none of us are holding this year against him going forward but he still has that talent and maybe he just turns into superman for one sunday at the end of the year
2: and Tavon austin turns into the flash and laquan treadwell turns into batman and because he's O'Shaughnessy, right, like, look at who he's court. throwing
0: to. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, point yeah. taken.
3: The,
0: the, I keep uh,
2: forgetting. Austin is, is their
3: top and like Laquan Le- Shredwell's their WR1.
2: It's what's the UFL? Chenault, what?
3: Chenault might be their first
0: receiver, I guess.
3: I, I'm not going to get into this argument. I have more important things to do. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point the stands.
0: 15 and a half Colts by 15 and a half. Uh
3: I just I just said you know anytime the spread hits double digits my my inkling is always go with the underdog then take the points, um, and this Colts team is way better than Jacksonville but the way they play is is not conducive to blowouts, so I I would not bet this game but if I was I would take the points.
2: Yeah, I would I would probably take the points and at this point with some of these and I was looking at it but I never really got done like putting together some crazy parlay and like trying to get like 20 points on a couple of these games is almost like a better show. Like I, I take like the Jaguars plus 22 and then try to get some points like with, um, you, you know, the jets or something to, to, to make it work. <laughs>
0: uh, all right. Useful as first says, you sound like Erman Meyer in November, Mike.
3: No longer paying attention to the Jaguars. Yes.
0: I'm going to kick you. There you go. <laughs> <Urban Meyer>. Um, <laughs> Houston at Tennessee. Sorry, Tennessee at Houston. Houston is the home team. Um, We've actually seen what a Texans upset looked like because these teams played in week 11 and Houston won. Yes. 22-13. Now, there was no Julio Jones in that game and there was no Derrick Henry. Uh, A.J. Brown did play, but he left twice with injuries. Tyrod Taylor was the Houston quarterback then. The Texans had a positive pass DVOA despite having only 107 passing yards. They took a 19 to nothing lead and Tannehill threw four picks. Mm-hmm. So that's what it looks like. Yep.
2: yep. AJ Brown gets hurt and Tannehill throws four picks. <laughs> also, Adrian Peterson was the running back in that game. Just uh Whoa,
0: well, oh, there was
2: that big know, game. The Hall of James Famer was, was running around out there too. Uh, you know.
3: I have forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah. um, Um, (laughs) Houston's defense is not terrible. It is merely bad.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Houston's defense has more interceptions than Tennessee's defense does this year. Mm. And, and, and Ryan Tannehill is a guy who will throw a four picks against bad teams once in a while. Um, And, you know, Aaron mentioned his Twitter poll. This is of the four upsets. This is the one people thought was most likely to happen. And I would agree with that. And, uh, and, and we all agree um, that this Tennessee team is not as good as their record. Uh, They just, the keep winning every coach every close game which i think is a testament to uh mike rabel yeah. um i think that that's a coach of the year nominee right there um getting the most out of the talent available it's what a coach is supposed to do and he's done a a, a remarkable job of that um so yeah i, I this is game is going to be on one of my is going to be on one of my screens on sunday for sure <sighs>
0: I mean, I think the the other thing is Davis Mills has played better in his second run as the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Davis Mills has been the second best of the rookie quarterbacks. That doesn't mean he's the second best of the rookie quarterbacks going forward. That doesn't mean he's more talented than Trevor Lawrence, whatever. But (laughs) like, let's be honest, right? Like he didn't have that much more to work with than what Trevor Lawrence had to work with. Right. Basically, he's in the same situation as Trevor Lawrence, except he's got Brandon Cooks. Right. And he has played reasonably over the last five weeks, Mm -hmm. and so like you. And and not just not just avoiding mistakes.
3: He's
2: he's he's finding downfield and getting big plays.
3: Throws, yeah.
2: His protection has been better than I thought it would be. That's been part of it, and the system there is pretty well. It's not like this. Looney Tunes system, which I think Trevor Lawrence has part of the problem of. So he has to yes. well within that structure there.
0: Uh, Houston is also interestingly very strong against wide receiver ones, but weak against wide receiver twos. So it would definitely be better for Tennessee if both Brown and Jones can play in this game rather than just Brown
2: especially since they don't have a wide receiver 3, 4, 5, 6, or 7. and yeah. you're,
0: not, you're not a Nick Westbrook-Akine is not doing it for you?
2: <laughs> he was one of the reasons for the four interceptions, if I, if I recall, uh, during that game. But, uh, yeah, like we've seen what a Texans uh, upset looks like, and I can see a, a close Texans game. I can't imagine the Titans coughing this one up in, under these circumstances.
0: I I'm I mean, I'm with you. I think it's really unlikely. Right. I think the, the Titans are better – than what our numbers say when they're healthy right. and they are healthier now than they were before. I still think that, you know, I still think they may end up as the worst team in the playoffs in the AFC even healthy, mm-hmm. but they're not as bad as the numbers think they are. And they're nowhere near as bad as the Texans, the Texans defense, is, uh, offense is uh, even with mills playing better their Their running game is non-existent and there aren't a lot of great receivers other than Brandon Cooks. They got so, one
3: good game out of Rex Burkhead.
0: Yeah, they got one good game, out <laughs> and of
2: that Mike. was the great Davis Mills game, which is why you have to be a little bit like what was going on. What was going on is the Chargers had a COVID outbreak. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I don't yeah. want to negate what Davis Mills did there because it was very impressive. But there's a grain of salt. There's an asterisk with a lot of this.
3: Sure, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Welcome to the 2020 and 2021 seasons, where a lot of things have asterisks. That honestly is true. Of-
3: People haven't. Been- just casually asking me what I expect in the playoffs, and they, my answer is, I have no idea. It's it every week changes. It's a it's a pretty up in the air year. Yeah. Um. We
0: uh. The line is ten. Tennessee by ten.
2: Yeah.
0: I would go Houston in the point.
2: It's another one to be so fun with a tease.
0: Yeah. I, Houston I,
2: plus I, sixteen or something. Yeah, if I could take Houston up to like sixteen, and then I go back and take the Jaguars. I'm gonna go explore that, but if I have to make a straight up pick now, okay, I will take the Texans and the points.
3: I I feel like I'm I'm repeating myself or pull pull my string and I say the same thing, but yes, I'm gonna take a spread that big. And and I've again of the upsets, if I was gonna pick an upset straight up, this is the one I would pick.
0: Of the AFC, of the AFC big lines of the upsets. Because the, the next game we're gonna discuss is also a possible is another one where we're looking for an upset, but I think it's a more likely upset, and that is New Orleans at Atlanta. Yes. 4 p.m., New Orleans and Atlanta. I mean, this is another one where only New Orleans matters right now. So the question, once again, is what does an Atlanta upset look like? But, again, we've seen it. Mm-hmm. In week yes. nine, which was Trevor Simeon's first start, Matt Ryan had 343 passing yards. That's the game where they threw to Patterson, and he went 64 yards at the end of the game to set up the game-winning field goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's terrible luck for the Saints. This is one huge play. Um and the the Falcons, I think what a, a Falcons upset looks like is pass, 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 because their running game sucks this year. Uh-huh. And the Saints have the number one run defense. Uh-huh. But the Saints are surprisingly low in pass rush win rate at ESPN. Like despite what they did against Tampa, they're only 26th on the year. Yeah. So the Falcons, like Matt Ryan, should have time to
2: throw. A uh, couple of things. Taysom Hill, I believe, is getting the start.
0: Yes, not Simeon this time.
2: Hill has three starts. The Saints have won all three games against the Falcons with Hill starting. Hill has a 75% completion rate against the Falcons. He averages 8.1 yards per pass against the Falcons. He averaged 7.0 yards per rush against the Falcons. Hill's one skill in this world, besides making Sean Payton love him with all his heart and soul, is beating the Atlanta Falcons.
3: Yeah, that's fair. Um, there, there was a point around Halloween, maybe a little later, when I was looking at the NFC standings, and re, I, I think I said multiple horrible teams are going to make the playoffs, in the NFC, and I, New Orleans is <laughs> not horrible. They're, they're, they they, they have uh, gotten just enough offense, and their defense has been good most of the year. That um, I'm, I, I'm withdrawing yeah, it the. Turns
0: out that's not the case. Philadelphia has improved. I don't think you know they're a good team at this point. San Francisco is a good team at this point.
3: Of those but three, I think no, San, San, Francisco
0: San Francisco. is a stronger and would be more fun to watch in the playoffs than New Orleans.
3: Yes, and and, and a higher higher floor, and uh, they could. We've seen them win a couple of playoff games not that long ago. Yeah. Um. Yes. I. of those three NFC wildcard contenders. I think they're the one least likely to make the playoffs, or the most dangerous one if they do get in. But anyway, um, <laughs> New Orleans is better than Atlanta. Mike brings up. Taysom Hills uh uh performance against the Falcons in the past and the Falcons have a long history of falconing and uh get, <laughs> getting beat by guys that other teams don't get beat by mm-hmm. and I can kind of see this turning into a, a a quasi shootout where there's a mix of three and outs and explosive plays um Alvin Kamara could run wild oh he's not done a lot of that this year um yeah,
2: well, everyone's stacked um, up against the run you know
3: when when yeah when 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 the other team is playing, like you're playing the options, hard to run. Um so what's this? What is the spread on this one? Four and a half. Yes, that's, that's about right. I I think New Orleans has impressed me enough. This is one where I would take the favorite. Um and figure figure they win by a touchdown. It may be it may be a last play touchdown, but I think, uh I, I think they can take this. They can take this. They have a lot more to play for than Atlanta does, obviously. Um, Atlanta's whole motivation is let's get Kyle Pitts the uh tight end yardage record and then we can go play golf
2: that's what I'm looking at 59 yards away Kyle Pitts from breaking Mike Ditka's record for rookie tight ends I'm looking for props on this they have not posted yet I really? want to see a Kyle yeah I mean they might be waiting they're gonna put them out that, that morning or whatever because I'm not that invested with the outcome of this game in my brain, the saints, the way they are now are like every one of those terrible bears teams that always makes the playoffs with no quarterback.
3: Yeah. Like, yeah.
2: like okay, that's, that's if they make it, that's who they are. They're like the fake bears at this point. But I, if I get to watch this game and watch Pitts, and then, Oh, it's late in the game. We're just going to throw screens to pits and see if he can get 59 yards. I want to be on the business end and get him on a prop on that. So I have something fun to root for.
0: I would definitely go with saints minus four and a half on this one. Um, that's that's the line, and that's that's the record. Saints
3: are good, the Falcons are bad.
2: <laughs> Saints and have the, Saints average the, Falcons. And the Falcons don't, yeah, except the tight end record. Uh
0: the other game that matters for the 49ers, right? We know the situation is either the Saints need to lose or the 49ers need to win, and that puts the 49ers in the playoffs. So we talked about the math on this yesterday. Both of those things are less than 50% likely to occur but it's more than 50% likely that one of those two things. Yes. So let's talk about San Francisco at the LA Rams. Uh, this is the big game of the week. This is the best game of the week, even though it's even though the, the next one we'll discuss is the win and end game. This is the best because the 49ers are seventh in DVOA. The Rams are fifth in DVOA. Cooper Cup is on pace for the all-time record in receiving yep. DUAAR. Okay, uh, yeah. He needs a really big game to break the all-time record in receiving yardage. Yep.
2: Um, He's
0: the previous game,
2: if he really blows about,
0: if he really go blows up, the previous yeah. game was San Francisco thirty-one, Rams ten in week ten, and I think it's like San Francisco's won like five straight against the Rams or something. Like, there's a whole like, does Shanahan have McVay's number discussion?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, And I will point out, the the 49ers, they are second in defense against running. They are third in defense against short passes. Mm. And they are 32nd against deep passes.
3: Oh, Oh, that sounds bad.
0: On the other hand, the Rams are 27th against passes up the middle. Hmm. And they're much better on deep passes than short passes. Right. Only Jacksonville is worse against short middle passes. And what do the 49ers, especially if Garoppolo is playing quarterback, what do the 49ers excel in? Short middle passes.
3: What do they only do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um,
2: Garoppolo is yeah, very um, limited. By the way, Garoppolo is very limited in practice Wednesday. We may be seeing Lance again.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I believe the, I, I don't know if I can use profanity on this uh, show, but uh, Jimmy's, uh, when they asked him about how, what it was like playing with his hand, he said, F, it hurts. Oh. <laughs> it sounds like a bad diagnosis. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Brian Knowles has talked about how this There's the NFC West, uh, Roxas' paper game where the Rams always beat the Seahawks, the Seahawks always beat the 49ers, 49ers always beat the Rams, and the Cardinals just kind of do whatever they do up and down in a given year. Um, but um, the 49ers have been playing very well lately. Um, the Rams have been... <laughs> Playing well at 22 positions or sorry, 21 positions, but 21 positions, but the 22nd is the quarterback who has just been drunk out there uh, <laughs> for the past two weeks. And, and it's, it's weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. C- because I, 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 I was skeptical that the trade would work out when they made it. I was uh, very blown away by Matthew Stafford up for, like Halloween like the slam dunk MVP, and then he kind of tailed off but still playing very well. And these past two weeks, he's had more bonehead interceptions than he may have had in any year in Detroit. Right. He's just, he, he, he looks like a guy – he looks like Trevor Lawrence, like a guy who doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> with no coaches.
2: It's strange. By the way, because he threw two interceptions early in the San Francisco, the earlier loss. So that game was like these last two narrow Rams wins where we spot you two turnovers in the beginning, and then we see if we can come back. That failed for the Rams against the Titans. It failed for them against the 49ers. It will fail for them this week if they try to do it again. Yes. I think because all of his uh, interceptions seem to be around the 19-yard line or somewhere along there. And yeah. the uh, Rams ranked 29th in deep zone, which is inside their own 20 offense. So when they're pinned back there, those mistakes have killed them. Problem is, and I know it's much more random on the defensive side of the ball. 49ers are thirtieth in deep zone defense, so it's so yes. oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, well, like yeah, the, 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 party, That might be like a handful of plays, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's much more customized, yeah. but uh, you, they're not necessarily built to take advantage of the the main thing that the um that the Rams do.
3: Well, when you're when you're in the deep zone, when you're inside your one twenty, you often shoot for the big play. Yeah, and the the, the Niners' defensive specialty this year has been, uh, you know, the, the the deep downfield DPI. Right. Um, so. <laughs> um that that, that's uh staffer can win this game without completing a lot of passes just get those yellow flags out there
0: uh beat reporter says ccx3 beat reporter handicapped jimmy g playing at 68 percent but also acknowledged the mind games of it that is a very oddly (laughs) specific percentage it's like two out of three
3: but it's a little bit more
0: like not two thirds
3: (laughs) i love it the precision we need to get that beat reporter on here what's what's his formula (laughs)
0: I I will uh, point out the Rams are on top of all of ESPN's trench measures. Okay. Um, They have Aaron Donald. The San Francisco is also in the top 10, except for in run block win rate. So this is a really strong trench matchup. Trent Williams has been phenomenal at left tackle for the 49ers this year, but the right side of their line is iffy. Right. And, of course, Nick Bosa has been really good this year on defense for San Francisco. So this is a really strong matchup right here.
2: Right. And the Niners can be a little like the Titans where it's like, oh, who was healthy that week? Oh, that's the strong version. So when you try to go through their overall stats, you're like, oh, that was the week these guys, Kittle was out for those weeks, et cetera. and, And you get a different read on them.
0: The line on this game is Rams by four and a half. And I actually made this the football outsiders pick of the week. San Francisco plus four and a half.
2: I'm going. Okay. I'm with you. It,
3: it, it it's it, it's tempting. Um, I, I, I I'm well. I mentioned bonehead interceptions, and we're talking about Matthew Stafford. I feel the need to point out the the opposite quarterback in this game is maybe <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo, who has his own track record of uh, hey, where did that where did that linebacker come from? <laughs> kind of,
2: or what? Kind of right.
3: Um, I, I I'm I'm writing about the Rams for for next year's almanac, so I've watched it. Almost all their games, and, and at their best, they're better than San Francisco has been. Um, and e- e- even I think that's true, e- yeah. even in their past two games, most of their team has played well. It, it's the three or four terrible turnovers over that stretch, um, that, that, that have killed them. And so, um, I'm just gonna, and, and at least uh, uh, seeding is not as important as getting into the playoffs, obviously. Uh, but the Rams do still have something to play for, try to get that, that, that number two pick. Uh, and then maybe somebody somebody beats Green Bay, they could host the NFC title game. So uh, I'm going to stick with the Rams. I mean, they're still playing one. for the division, right? Like, yes. if they
0: lose oh, well, and I, Arizona I just... beats Seattle, they have to go on the road at the wild card round. So right. they definitely still have something to play for.
3: Yes, Even even better than Okay, then, then yes, I, I will take the Rams, and I will lay the points in that one.
0: The last game of the year, which I believe the NFL is trying to turn hashtag game 272 into a thing, yeah. is the Los Angeles Chargers at the Las Vegas Raiders. Previous game was Chargers 28, Raiders 14, even though, as we all know, the Raiders playing in Los Angeles is actually a home game for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so uh, DVOA thinks the. Char- we oh. lost you. DVOA thinks the Chargers are much better than the Raiders. Yes. And um, both teams are better passing than rushing, but the Vegas defense is strong against the run, and the Chargers defense is terrible against the run. So that uh, would suggest the Raiders may want to run a little bit more and the Chargers pass a little bit more. And between, like, Josh Jacobs is going to take advantage of defensive weakness and Justin Herbert is going to take advantage of defensive weakness,
2: I will go with the latter, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> By error. the way, if the if the Raiders playing in Char- L.A. that's a home game for the Raiders. Is the Chargers playing in Vegas a home game for the Cowboys?
3: <laughs>
0: Sorry,
2: touche. <laughs>
3: Thanks
0: everyone. Good night.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, we. I, uh, I I was looking at some numbers last night, and Seattle has scored more points than the Raiders. They have allowed fewer points than the Raiders. The Raiders are, are win in a win situation situation. Seattle has been practically eliminated for a month now, so life is not always fair. Um, <laughs> and the Chargers are better. They should win. Justin Herbert is, is a rock star. Derek Carr is a, a, a probably better than, better than his reputation starter. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL. And, um, and I
0: mean no disrespect to the Raiders and the Raider fans, but the mm-hmm. national fandom. Let's be honest. Who do we want to see in the playoffs? Have to face. Buffalo or Kansas City the Chargers or the Raiders yes,
2: yes I you want to see the
3: Chargers right you want to see you want to see Justin Herbert and a quarterback in a shootout duel with Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes it sounds awesome I just said it out loud I'm like ooh, that sounds fun yes <laughs> um yeah. and it's probably gonna happen because the Raiders are are, are not very good they they've, they've won some close games they've kind of flown under the radar um there's a part of me that because of all the terrible things that have happened around that program involving people who are not there anymore right. it, it would be a great story if the guys who are there are rallying out in this postseason and and you know the, the the terrible things that have happened are not the fault of anyone who will be playing or coaching in this game sure. the, 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 the 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 i you don't have to feel guilty cheering for the raiders in this one um so that it, it would be a great story but um great stories don't always come true <laughs>
2: Or, and or they're not they're, always fun to watch. Yeah, they're not phenomenal games. And the possibility of hearing, you know, Tony Romo or somebody babbling through the John Gruden situation. Like, no, nah, I don't necessarily need that. Well, that's the, also fair too, yeah. Part of the story. By the way, in the injury reports, very encouraging on the Chargers end of things. James came back last week. Darwin James, he was out for a while. He was part of the reason they were struggling. Eckler another reason they were struggling. He came back this week last week. Chargers look relatively healthy, more or less, right yeah. now so
0: chiefs chargers three would be awesome
2: yes yes
0: um both of these defenses are better against passes in the middle of the field than on the sidelines and the chargers are near the bottom of the league and how often they pass in the middle of the field they mostly pass to the sidelines where the raiders have a weakness
2: yeah they
3: pass it's the, the sidelines where they have the, the quarterback's arm can get passes there easy and the guys can get the, the, the receivers can get deep they, they've got a quarterback with a big arm surrounding him with a lot of talented fast wide receivers and it has put here in the verge of the playoffs. What a concept. I
0: will point out the chargers are very weak against wide receiver ones, which I guess would be Hunter Renfro. Yes. And they're 27th against tight ends. I don't know if Darren Waller is going to finally be healthy enough to play in this game, but he could have a big game against them.
2: I believe he returned to practice yesterday. So he, but again,
0: like you said, James is healthy. So James, um, you know, James would be covering Waller. So, like, I'm sure that if I went and broke it down, how the Chargers do against tight ends depends a lot on – like, we know that Kelsey, like, went nuts on them after James went out of the game. Right. CCX3 points out, I think this is why the Chargers don't throw in the middle of the field a lot, or one of the reasons they don't, it's because Jared Cook has been awful. Yes. Also, they have a quarterback who can throw out routes all the time and throw on the sidelines all the time. I mean, one of the reasons right. they throw less in the middle of the field them like a San Francisco is because of who their quarterback is and what his strengths are. So
2: right. Right. Um, cook, cook is Cook. Cook will catch a ball and fumble. Um, or you know, tip drill to somebody. Yeah. Chargers by three. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Pretty pretty. Like pretty co- confident in that field. one. Yeah. I would take I would take LA pretty quickly.
2: Sounds like a bargain. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean it's in Vegas, right? So if you believe in home field advantage still. Right. And Timo Risky from PFF had an interesting post on Twitter suggesting that home field advantage has existed this year. Okay, It's just been about half of what it usually is. Okay. But I still, even if That's you believe a, in that, I still would, I would still go with the Chargers to cover. Charger they,
3: they, they've been a pretty clearly better team than the Raiders for most of this year.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I want to root for that anyway. So go Chargers, Go. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, Char- I, I think that if everything goes with, you think, I mean, we know that not every favorite will win, but I believe that if every favorite wins, we end up with Chargers, Chiefs, three, okay. Bills, Colts, and Bengals. Uh, if every favorite wins except, well, yeah, including Cleveland over Cincinnati, we would have Bills, Colts, and Patriots,
2: Bengals. That'd be a lot of fun. That's a great afc playoff slate
0: that's a great afc playoffs
3: yeah the, the, the yeah. nfl has almost gotten to the point it's almost like basketball you don't need to pay attention to the playoffs start and uh and but now that we're here it could be a fun playoffs
2: I, and that's what i'm worried about i lamented the new york times a little bit about it like all during the season when we'd have these like bengals chargers games like oh this is a playoff preview this is a playoff preview when there's like four of them a week and then Oh, they won, so they got separation. Oh, they lost next week, and everybody's still 9-8 at, yep. at the end. It is like the NBA. It's like the NHL. It's like, okay, these guys are guaranteed to go in, and they're just sort of jockeying during the season. Call me call me in January. As I
0: said yesterday, although, that, although it would be wonderful if the Chargers are the seventh seed to have Kansas City versus the Chargers, overall, I, I said on the show yesterday, I think that the seven playoff teams is much worse for the sport than the 17th game.
2: I agree. Yes, and I
0: know we're going to 18 games soon. Yes. So break out your USFL records, baby. <laughs> Within a couple of years, they're going it's to be coming going back. 18 games. we yeah, are USFL, going USFL back every year. Day. I have no idea yeah, why, USFL but Yeah, USFL next
2: uh, spring on NBC and Fox. I can't wait to watch a USFL game where Tavon Austin and Laquell, Laquell Treadwell are the number 1 and number 2 receivers for a team. And we'll be like, these used to be the Jaguars. This is what <laughs> yeah. Trevor Lawrence had to work <laughs> yes. with when he was a rookie. It will be like when the Baltimore Stars became the Saints, you know, pretty much in the NFL and they followed Mora. Like they'll get Meyer to coach in the USFL and he'll bring, he'll bring Tavon with him and Tebow with him. It'll be great.
3: Yeah. Oh, don't give them ideas, Mike. Oh, don't do that. No more
0: Tebow, please. No more, no more Tebow. (laughs) All right, folks. Thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you. Uh, You know, we're on one o'clock Eastern almost every weekday, no longer on Tuesdays, but we will, um, Tomorrow, Scott Spratt will be here at 1 o'clock to set you up to play Week 18 DFS, also known as Who Cares? (laughs) Not not who cares as in, like, who cares about Week 18, but who cares about as in which players care and (laughs) which players should we pick up for DFS based on the idea that they actually care about the games (laughs) this week. That's what I mean by who cares. Um, Thank you to Parker Fleming for previewing Georgia, Alabama with Mm -hmm. us. Thank you, Vince, for joining us. Thanks, as always, to Mike. Again, we want to thank everybody who has watched the show and asked questions online and everybody who's listened all year long. This is the my last show of the regular season. Obviously, Scott Spratt will be here tomorrow, but it's been a lot of fun doing these broadcasts, doing them as podcasts afterwards on the FO Podcast Network. Please make sure, if you haven't yet, to subscribe to us on your app of choice So you are hearing us all through the playoffs. We're going to have lots of playoff preview information. I will be back on Monday to review Week 18 with Ian O'Connor. Otherwise, everybody, enjoy Week 18, and I will talk to you next week. So long, everybody.